We've been going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to continue with that. Last week, we uh, were reminded that we shouldn't be motivated by rivalry, conceit, or vainglory, and rather we should lift others up as more important than ourselves. And we are commanded to look to the needs of others rather than just our own needs. And hopefully over this last week, you uh, were challenged to put others first because that's exactly what Jesus did. Let's pray and before we dive into uh, Philippians chapter 2. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you so much for who you are. You are great. You are worthy to be praised. You are the God of the universe. Uh, Lord, you gave us breath today. God, you allow our hearts to pump right now. God, I pray that we would give you uh, all of our attention. God, not me, Lord, uh, about my voice, God, but rather about what your Holy Spirit is speaking to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So the, the word that summed up our message last week was humility. And uh, we found out that the foundation of a life of humility is the example of Jesus Christ. And uh, let's look again in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 4 and work our way down to verse 11. This is some amazing passages of Scripture here. There's so much truth. It says, look, each of you, not only to the interests of uh, their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? We, we talked about that. It says the mind that Christ has given us, the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Look at this here. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most shameful, embarrassing, painful death imaginable. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The foundation of a life of humility is the example of Christ, because no one was ever higher and no one was ever brought lower. That's the definition of humility. Let's look at this one more time. I don't want you to miss this. This scripture is so amazing. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. See, I don't think we think about this statement enough, or maybe we don't fully understand it. We've never given it a lot of thought. So let's, let's, before we go on, let's look at some other statements in the Bible about who Christ is. Hebrews 1, 2 tells us in the last days, he, God, 
has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. And then look at what it says about Jesus. It says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And through him, he created the world. See, Jesus is not just like kind of related to God. No, he is God. Christ took part in creation. Hebrews 1 uh, goes on in verse 3. And it talks about Jesus. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is the exact image of God. And look at this next part. It says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, whose sins? My sins, your sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, he left the right hand of God and he came and paid the price for our sins. He finished the work and now he's back sitting at the right hand of God right now. This is your Jesus. This is why we're here today. John 1.3 tells us a little bit more about who Jesus is. It says, all things were created through him and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a big statement. When you think about Jesus, is this the Jesus that you think about? Everything in existence came through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that exists today that Jesus did not have a part in. Colossians 1.15 tells us he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's first in position. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and in earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities. Look at this. All things were created through him and for him. See, Christ is not just part of Christianity. Christ is not a religious figure. All things were created by him and for him, including you. You can go on and on and on in scripture and you'll see this theme, this fact is clear. The point is that Jesus got up from his throne in heaven and he took time from holding the world together with his word to come eat with people that would disagree with him and mock him with their lives. See, he knew that uh, he knew the things that God had given him, the gifts that God had given us as people that we would pervert them. He knew that we would take the gift of sex and distort it and begin to worship it. Before Jesus left the throne on heaven, he knew what we were doing. He knew what we were about. He knew that we would take the gift of food and overindulge in it and use it to comfort ourselves instead of finding comfort in him. He knew that uh, that these people that he was coming to would abuse and mistreat people that he made for their selfish goals. He left his throne in heaven uh, to come and be with those people, us. The foundation of a life of humility is the example of Christ. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of this world. Now picture that when you jive that, when you integrate that into who you know that Jesus is. Picture the Pharisees that hated Jesus. Why? Because Jesus rocked the boat. 
The Pharisees' pride was wounded by Jesus because they were important, right? He should have uh, took them into account with his plans. But Jesus didn't run the times of the services that he held past the Pharisees first. He didn't ask for permission to heal people or to feed the 5,000. And they hated him for that. Imagine that as Jesus is criticized and mocked by the tongues and lips of the Pharisees that he created and held together with his hands and his word. Imagine that as Jesus in the garden. We see that depicted over here, him praying. And shortly after, obviously this isn't a picture, it's just a, you know, a representation. And I think his skin was probably a little bit darker than that, that guy right there. But this is what's important. Right after this, the Roman soldiers came and grabbed Jesus and gripped him up with hands that he created with hands that he formed and held together with his words. The hands that he formed now struck him across the face. The hands that he formed now pulled out his beard. And with saliva glands that he created, they began to spit on Jesus. They nail him with a metal that he fabricated to a tree that he spoke into existence. And at any moment, he could have stopped it all. The Bible says he could have called 12 legions of angels. That's a minimum of 72,000 angels to come and pull him off the cross and bring him down. But he didn't. He humbled himself, became obedient to death. Why? Because he laid down his life so that God could have what was rightfully his, and that's you and me. He humbled himself, and he laid down his life, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. Philippians 2.12 goes on. It says, therefore, because of all that, because of what we just talked about, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Jesus just obeyed. He obeyed to the point of the cross. As you have always obeyed, so now, as not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to work, to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. He tells us just like Jesus humbled himself and obeyed God, we are to follow that example. And he tells us, look, this, this type of humility is not natural. Natural for you and I is to look out for ourselves and our own interests. So to be humble, we have to let God to work it through us. And it says here that we need to work out our salvation, working the gospel into every corner of our lives, like a man working pizza dough to be formed and fashioned into the shape that the maker desires, the image of Christ. Verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That doesn't sound like the world that we live in right now, right? You watch the news right now, uh, I don't think we're living that, that verse out at all. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining. What do we have to complain about as Christians anyway, right? We learn that we're living in bonus time right now. We all should be in hell. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So to do all things without grumbling. Verse 15 
tells us that type of person, this obedient person that doesn't grumble or complain, it says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So you really want to be unique? You really want to be different? Well, this world is crooked, it's twisted, and it's perverse. And a a person that puts others before themselves, not living to puff themselves up or prove themselves right, a person that lives a life that is a picture of the gospel in this world, that's how you shine bright like a diamond in this world. That's how you shine bright in this dark room called the earth. See, our Humility and willingness to serve others is what is going to set us apart in such an obvious way. It's going to be like a light in a dark room. Verse 16 says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If we want to live a life that lasts to make an impact, we're going to live this way, pour ourselves out like Paul did for these people and like he was encouraging them to do, putting others first. Verse 17 says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, even if I'm poured out, if I'm broken and sacrificed, church, if it helps you have faith, I'm glad to do it. He says, I don't give an offering, I am an offering. Paul wants to be like Jesus. And the foundation of a life of humility is the example of Jesus. Let's everybody close your eyes right now, and I want you to think about something. Think back in, you know, over this last week, some things you've done, some places you've gone, maybe it's work, the store, interactions with the mailman. And answer this question for you, just yourself, between you and God. In our lives, right now, in our world, do we think of people around us as having souls? Are these people that are around us eternal Creatures that are made in the image of God. When we see this guy that's sitting on the sidewalk or this lady behind the cash register somewhere, do we think of them as having an eternal life that is either going to be in heaven or in hell? You can look up here. Think about that. Do we treat other people like God made them and like they're going to last forever? When we we have this young man or woman that serves us at a restaurant, does that person have a soul? Are they a spiritual being? Will they last forever? Or is it just give me my drink, give me my food, and hurry up about it? Do we realize that they are created in the image of God, that God took time to create them? Do we think about encouraging them and helping them, esteeming their needs over our own? Or are they just props in our lives? How about here around church? Do we look for ways to encourage people or to help people? Or do we find a way to get lost when someone needs help? 
Do people, uh, do we go around and look for new people that might be looking to fit in? Or do we just always gravitate towards the same old people that we always do? And this is me too. I struggle with this as well. Oh, you need help moving? Ah, I think I have a dentist appointment I'm really excited about. I probably should go to that. Right? Now, there are people in this church that are amazing people that you know that you could go to and they would uh, help you with absolutely anything. And they would drop everything. There's a few people that I know I can go to if I see a new person that's sitting alone that I can say, hey, do you mind to go and sit with this person over here? Uh, They're here for the first time. They don't know anybody. Do you mind to do that? And they would just sit and encourage them. Is that always easy? No. Is it comfortable? No. Is it awkward? Yes. But it's about esteeming their needs over my own needs and their encouragement and comfortability over my feelings and thoughts and wants. We look out for the interest of others just like Jesus did. My younger brother had a baby a few years ago. Not him, his wife did. Uh, But uh, they were really struggling early on. And uh, there was a lot of of frustration and they weren't sleeping and the baby was crying all the time. And it it was just a hard time for him. And he'd call me and and. We're not normally real, like, touchy-feely people, but you could tell that he was struggling. And then I called him a few weeks after that, and I talked to him, and he said, yeah, there's this guy at church I know that, that I've known for a long time, and he offered to come over in the middle of the night and stay all night with my newborn baby to feed him and to, to uh, change his diapers and to sit up with this baby so that we could have a little bit of rest. It was his close friend. And I'm like, man, I, I'm your brother, and I don't think I would have offered that. <laughs> right? Seriously. But this guy, he knows him well, and they're friends, and they're close, but he didn't have to offer to come over and watch his baby. He's not like a, you know, like baby expert. He's got a giant beard, and he chops wood most of the time. It's not like... This was in his wheelhouse, but he said, let me put my needs and my rest and my sleep to the side and let me come and let me help you. Let me put your needs in front of my own. And that friend humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant just like Jesus would have. You see all the time, On social media, there's this hashtag, and if you don't know what that is, you can ask your grandkids. Hashtag uh, relationship goals. And normally it's a a, a picture of like matching tattoos, right, or something like that, and people say hashtag relationship goals, or maybe a boyfriend's giving this girlfriend a pedicure or something like that, which, uh, yeah, um, I don't know what to say about that. But, you know, that's, that's goals. That's goals for me. To have a relationship like that, that's, that would, and so many people in this world are searching for that perfect relationship, and they don't show you that, like, right after that, they got in a huge fight. It's just this perfect image of this perfect couple. But what if instead we uh, forgot about searching for this perfect relationship with these earthly people around us that are not perfect, that are going to let us down? And what if instead we sought for relationship goals with our heavenly father, Jesus Christ? And that's what these first two chapters of Philippians are to me. Hashtag goals, right? 
To live is Christ, to die is gain. Hashtag goals. God, help me to put others before myself. That's my goals. God, help me to have a humble mind of Christ and to put on the form of a servant. God, help me to be willing to be broken and to be sacrificed to strengthen others' faith. Relationship goals. Do we approach the people around us as, how do I serve, how do I encourage, how can I help? There's a big difference between Chick-fil-A, this is totally off topic, there's a big difference, that was a real, there was no segue to that at all. Uh, There's a big difference between Chick-fil-A and Burger King. Does anybody work at Burger King? All right, then we could talk smack about it all day. What's the difference? The person behind the the counter says, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Hey, I'm going to walk to you by the side of your table, and I'm going to say, can I get you a drink instead of you having to walk up to the counter? Oh, you got some stuff there uh, on your table. Let me wipe that off real quick. And that's, that's Christian values. That's who we're supposed to be. Often that's not who we are as a church, and often that's not how the society around us sees us. They see us as judgmental and critical and holier than thou instead of saying, how can I be of service to you? Do we approach the people around us with how do I serve? How do I encourage? How can I help? When that permeates our existence as a church, as a Christian, then, then, then we will be a light in a dark world. Us sitting together here, huddled around each other, scared of the world around us, is not a light in this dark world. When we stop walking around feeling like people owe us something, like we should be given something with some kind of a swagger, and instead we put the needs of others before our own, looking for people that are doing too much and say, how can I help? looking for people that are beginning to get burned out and frustrated and say, let me put my plans down and let me help with what you've got going on. I want to shine like that star. I want to be a light with my life. And and as the world gets darker and darker and darker and more crooked and more perverse and more twisted, if we would live out these principles, we have an awesome opportunity to be a light in this world. Let's stand to our feet, bow our heads, close our eyes. This is an opportunity for you to talk with God about what he just spoke to your heart about. We like to give a time of pausing, of downloading, of updating. And that's what this time is right now. Let me internalize these biblical truths. Instead of like I often do, just rush past it, and, and think about lunch or life groups or what football game's on in here in a minute. And instead of that, let me pause for a minute, let me think, and let me download these truths into my heart. That's what this time that we call an invitation, this reflection, this meditation time. Thinking on these things. God revealed to us our pride. God, show us where we've been motivated by conceit. God, make us willing and joyful to serve others. 
Willing to be at the back of the line, willing to sit in the worst seat, considering others better than ourselves, helping us to work the gospel into every corner of our lives. God, help us to see people as people with souls that need love and encouragement and that will last forever and somewhere, some way, I might be able to make a difference. God, help us to do the things that are unpleasant so other people don't have to. Help me to go the extra mile for people simply because you climbed the hill of Calvary for me. Humble me like you humbled yourself. Because the foundation of a life of humility is the example of Jesus Christ. God himself left the throne of heaven, emptied himself, became a servant, and then he died in your place. That is our example. We're going to give you a minute. Too often in this life, we don't have any moments of just nothing. We're inundated with advertisements and schedules and busy things. We're going to take a second right now. Say, God, what do you want to change in me? As he softly plays, you meditate on that.